I'll talk about the third foundation of mindfulness. And with that, I think the question that may have still been in the mind about this morning's approach to feeling may become completely clear because <coughs> it shows the different kind of states that we have. Now, in Pali, the word mind, shita, encompasses mind and heart, thinking and feeling. In English, we would separate the two. We would think of one way that we're using the mind, that we are thinking with it, and with the other thing, well, the heart, of course, we're not quite sure that's supposed to be. We're certainly not thinking of the physical um, organ that is pumping our blood. We don't think that that's loving anybody, although we're making lovely pictures of it always in red with a little elbow and stool and all sorts of ideas. So we do separate that in our language and talk about thinking and feeling and have the idea that there are two separate things involved. In reality, just as the Buddha said it, it's all mind state. And because of that, the way he has explained it as mind state, we will come to the next foundation of mindfulness, which are our mind states, and we'll see that they encompass our emotions. And then maybe it's going to come quite clear that the feeling we talked about this morning is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and doesn't include emotions yet. That mind states include emotions. So, in order to go back once more to what I explained this morning, the sense contact creates feeling, feeling creates perception, perception creates mental formation. Now, mental formation can be either a mental state or, very often is a mental state, or it can be, that formation can be a whole scenario, can be a whole um, storyline but it may also just be a mental state. So our reaction comes about after the first three have gone past through mental states. Now mental states include anything and everything that arises in the mind. It includes angry states, and upset states, state of anxiety, state of fear. It includes a state where we know the mind to be at ease, we know a state where the mind is tense, mental state is a state where the mind may be expanded, malleable, quiet, or it may be restless, worried, it may have anything that we know about the mind is a mental state. All of those things and possibly more which I haven't mentioned. All mental states go under that category. And to know that means mindfulness of that third foundation, 
mental state. So we know whether we have an angry mind or we have a loving mind. We know whether we have an upset mind and we know whether we have rejection or resistance and we know all that about our own mind. So that's the reaction we have to all those things which happened before, namely the sense contact, the feeling, the perception. Now, the sense contact which creates feeling can be very easily ascertained, for instance, if somebody comes and applies for a job, and one person is extremely ugly, and the other one is extremely pretty, it's very likely that without any rationale, the one who is giving out the jobs may be swayed by pleasant people, because the pretty one creates pleasant people, if that person who is sitting there thinks it's pretty. So, without having any rationale, any logic about it, it's possible. Now, the person doesn't let him or herself be swayed, it's also possible. So, it's very often people go looking for a job, they are supposed to get put on their best clothes and all that, so they do look nice. Why are they putting on their best clothes? I mean, do they want to show that they have them or what? They want to look nice. Because it creates a good feeling. And that good feeling creates a perception, ah, looks nice. And then the reaction, I like him or her. Opposite, come, come appears all messy, cut off jeans, uh, no shoes, hair down to the shoulders, the unpleasant feeling, perception, messy looking, so on. These are possibilities, it doesn't have to be like that. But these are very um, common possibilities which we can make uh, any kind of scenario with, any possibilities so we can make up. So our reaction happens as a mental state. And this mental state can just be the arising of irritation without getting irritated and getting going further with it. But this mental state which arises is that which we need to know and watch out for. Because that is what brings the impurities into the mind when it's negative. And these negativities arise not only 50-50. Most people have far more than 50% of negativities in the mind. And how do I know? Anybody knows, because this is why the world looks the way it does. It's far more negative than positive. It's an absolute and utter mess. Because the mind states of people are negative. More than 50% of the time. And the only thing we can do in order to bring happiness to ourselves and happiness to those around us and be contributed towards peacefulness is to recognize those negative states. Don't blame ourselves because that's a double negativity and shame them. And this is the work of a mindful practitioner. 
we do that, we change our life. And we usually change the lives of people around us. Even if we don't become 100% uh, successful, it's only the are 100, 100% successful. He doesn't even have to try, he or she. It's automatic. But, the people around us have the benefit of a positive and supportive mind state which they then can not only rely upon, relax into, but try to emulate. If we want to be a decent practitioner, we have to be somebody that other people would like to copy. And if we're not that, we better make tracks that will become that. And that's got nothing to do with concentration and meditation. Absolutely nothing. That's strictly an everyday life. But it does have something to do with meditation, namely, that when discursive thinking is there, and we label it, we at least have learned the labeling. We have learned to look inside. And therefore, when irritated, rejecting, resisting, angry, worried, anxious mind states arise, we can label them. And, having labeled our discursive thinking in meditation and have learned to substitute that with attention on the breath over and over, over and over until finally it becomes concentration, we can do the same thing over and over in daily life. And if we don't, we've meditated in vain. Over and over, substituting. Now, one day, it's not necessary anymore to substitute. But first it is. For a long time. Long means anything. There's no way of saying how long I have to do that. It's extremely effective. It works. When we have to do that, with the same negative mental state more than once. So, it doesn't matter. A formula, a recognition, no blame, change. And one has to do it again and again. But if one, like most people do, think that the negative mental state has arisen because of scenario, her, him or her, his saying so, her saying so, him not doing that, he's not doing that, whatever it may be, then of course there is no chance. Then everything remains the same as it's always been. Negative, unpleasant, somebody else's fault. The one who happens to be near enough to be at fault. Very often of course the one one lives with, and if there doesn't happen to be one around that one lives with, or if one wants to keep peace in the house because that's the only sensible thing to do, then the next one, over. And if that also is not very, very um, sensible to do that, well, one more further move. But that's quite as far as we go. If we don't stop that, we're really sitting on this pillow for nothing. That's what it's all about. Stop. Change one's negative mental state into positive. All our speech, all our action, arises out of mental state. Where else can they come from? 
Speech and action has to come from the ancestors. There's no other origin for either one or the other. Mental state is therefore the most important thing that we can rely on. And as you can see when I've been mentioning all these different mental states, it encompasses the different kinds of emotions which arise. Well, they're loving mental states, the compassionate mental states, by all means keep them, as the longer the better. But the others that are not like that, they are the ones that we have to do something about. The first thing we have to do, and it's essential that we really start doing that, and even if we have the best intention, we still have to do it over and over, is not to think it's somebody else's fault. The formula is don't blame the trigger. It's all triggers, that's all it is. The world is full of them. It's designed like that so that we eventually practice. That's the way it's made the world. It's a wonderful design that triggers everywhere for us. And these triggers are so very often triggering us into negative. We have an inbuilt capacity to dislike. We also have an inbuilt capacity to love, but for some absurd reason, we constantly use that inbuilt capacity to dislike and don't use that inbuilt capacity to love. So if we were to use a second one, the world would look entirely different. All our media would tell a totally different story, and our whole storyline would be completely different if it is this. The reason for this um, absurdity is that loving is giving. And therefore, the opposite of greed. Whereas, disliking is hate. So, we can do that one better. But there's no reason to stay at that point. None whatsoever. Because we all have the ability for the opposite. And this Point of attention, bear attention, to tell us what mental state that is, will also help us to realize that the negative mental states trigger again unpleasant feelings. And so it goes around and around and around the mudras. Same thing over and over again. Unpleasant feeling, perception, Negative mental state. Negative mental state, unpleasant feeling, perception, reaction with negative mental state, unpleasant feeling, and so on and so on. Three programs. We've got to stop. There's no two ways about it. If we want any benefit from meditation, if we want a life goes along lines of harmony and peacefulness, we've got to learn to substitute. Now, obviously, in meditation, we have to substitute. It's the same, exactly the same action. No difference. The mental action of going with one's attention from one thing to the other. Taking the attention of this one and putting it on that one. 
And as we do that and become more and more aware of ourselves, we will recognize the fact that we only know that where our attention is. Everything else is unknown to us at that time. The Buddha was once asked whether a Buddha is omniscient. He said, not in the sense of knowing everything all at once. Only knowing that where Buddha puts his attention. Now obviously you don't always know it. We often confuse, there's a whole lot of confusion. You look at something, put the attention there, and don't even know what we're looking at. That too. But at least we're off something else. If we don't use our mind for what it's really intended, we're wasting a good human life. Most people do. It's a great pity, but not to say so. We have so many things which are great pity. If we use our mind the way it's intended, then we have not only the benefit now, we have everybody else having the benefit from it, and we also have benefit in the future. The way it's intended is purification. The Buddha's path is sometimes called the path of cause and effect, the path of purification, the middle path. Path of purification is also a common way of describing it. Any spiritual path has to be a path of purification. If it isn't, it's not a spiritual path, it's a fantasy. There are lots of fantasies around. You know we can do it ourselves, no? We can fantasize. It's very easy. So why shouldn't other people? Everybody does. Making up stories. And then it's easy to follow a spiritual path. I guarantee it's a wrong path. It can't be. A spiritual path which goes for purification goes against instinct and impulse. If it's made easy, you wish your life, you're going to get over it eventually. That's not good. I think most people have tried. Try to do just what appears to be pleasant. What is the end result? No satisfaction, no contentment, because there was no effort. Nothing but disquiet in the mind, usually. Because there is a lot of proliferation. The mind likes it, but it has no sense. Proliferation in Pali is Papancha. And nature has proliferation. I was told by a nursery man that there are more than 350 different kinds of begonias. What do those say for that? That's begonias. I mean, just one flower has seen more than 350 times. There's something like almost, or more than 400 kinds of eucalyptus. No end to the papancha, no proliferation. And because that's nature, we do the same. But there's no satisfaction. There's only distraction. And the more distraction, the more restlessness. Because we're not satisfied, we're not contented, we're looking for more, we're going all over the place trying to find more, so we get restless mind. And restless mind, everybody knows that, 
we sometimes try to get out of restless minds by having lazy minds. Oh, that doesn't help either. Because that doesn't bring any satisfaction either. So it's very important that mindfulness becomes pinpointed enough to recognize mental state and result of mental state. What is the result of it? And the result of it may be a feeling, if it's a negative state, there is immediately, again, an unpleasant feeling. And it tells us quite clearly that this particular mental state is not useful. Instead of going back to the rounds from the unpleasant feeling now to the perception somebody said something that I must have this unpleasant feeling but nothing to do with it of course and therefore I don't like that person and now having this negative mental state I'm again having unpleasant feeling stopping the whole thing and recognizing the un the negative mental state and then the unpleasant feeling and that will actually do it for us that we will stop substituting. If we see quite clearly that we are producing our own unhappiness and nobody else is doing it. But only then, if we don't see that clearly enough that we are producing our own unpleasant feelings and nobody is doing it for us, we will still be looking for the scapegoat. And there are so many scapegoats, it's not very difficult to find them. And all you have to do is use the weather, the government, the Gulf War, the atomic bomb. It doesn't even have to be a part. I mean, very often it is, but it doesn't have to be. You can go outside and do something else, totally removed from anything. But what we're doing is a negative mental state producing the unpleasant state. And so, the Buddha said, four supreme efforts, four of the 37 factors of enlightenment. Not to let an unwholesome thought arise which has not yet arisen, not to let an unwholesome thought continue which has already arisen, to make a wholesome thought arise which has not yet arisen, to make a wholesome thought continue which has already arisen. Four of the 37 factors of enlightenment. And besides, whether we want to get enlightened or not, it really doesn't matter. They are the four factors which make it possible to have an inner tranquility, to have an inner serenity. Nobody's going to give that to us, nor is anybody taking it away from us. We are the ones that are producing it within ourselves. Nobody's doing that. Trying to cover it up through non-attention also possible. Most people try to do that. This is the most common way besides blaming somebody else. These two are the common way. Somebody else is at fault, so I don't want to see that person anymore. And covering up with non-attention to it. Not knowing exactly what's going on. And you already know that, you, that this non-attention is the worst factor 
because the way the Buddha has explained it has never occurred to anybody until they hear the Buddha's teaching. And then it all of a sudden becomes quite clear, yes, of course, that's what's happening. There's nobody outside of ourselves, there's nobody, nothing outside of mind. And this is the way we need to dissect the mind. As I said already, into the four parts of mind, which are the four khandas, the four aggregates, khandas is Pali, skandas is Sanskrit, aggregates, English, but doesn't mean anything, the four parts, which I've already mentioned several times this morning, sense contact, feeling, perception, and their mental formation, and then learning to be aware of each one. To see how the whole thing operates. Now, obviously, it makes it possible to substitute. But it brings a totally different perception into the mind. Now, our perception is very habitual. In fact, it is so poor that one has to make billboards ever bigger more colorful and let the writing stand out so much in the hope that somebody's going to read it. A small one with just ordinary writing nobody's ever going to see. Our perception is totally covered over without thinking which is connected with wanting and rejecting. So our perception is very impure. But if having seen these four parts of mind as operating one after the other continuously. No way any change always operates like that. Our perception of ourselves and the world around us you. So the first the first instance what happens is that if we see ourselves as this process of four states of mind following each other, a lot of the greed and hate will fall away. Because this process doesn't need anything particularly, and the hate, the rejection falls away. Not completely, of course, but some of it. And because of that, there's more clarity. And when there's more clarity, there's a different perception. One sees things differently. And this is what it's all about. Enlightenment means a clear mind. Seeing it perfectly. Understanding it from this inner seeing. Now seeing, does not, in this case, does not mean with the physical eye. It means the inner vision. In Buddha's words, it's knowledge and vision of things as they really are. In Pali, Jaka Bhutanyana Dasana. Over and over again, he uses those words. Now, the vision is that inner seeing, and the knowledge is the understanding of it. The understood experience. Now, we all use those four parts of mind constantly. Day in and day out, decade after decade, lifetime after lifetime, from morning to night, without interruption. And what do we know? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We haven't got a clue that we are pre-programmed and are constantly reacting to the pleasant or unpleasant In fact, we don't even know we've got the pleasant or unpleasant 
So we have an experience, but we don't understand it. We all have this experience, continually. So therefore, what happens is that the knowledge of the Buddha's teaching brings into mind a certain way of observing ourselves. And when we then have the experience, the same one over and over again, we may be able to understand. And then we have wisdom. The understood experience. There's no substitute for that. That doesn't have to be substituted. That's the only thing there is. That is which is a word which is totally wrong to use continually. Also in Pamir, wisdom, either way, could be interchangeable words, the inside wisdom, either way. But our experiences are usually, we name the, the word experience for things which are sort of um, exciting, that have to be something special. Why? Why does it have to be exciting and something special? We have experiences every moment. Our senses contact something, even in sleep, but that we don't know about, and the Buddha doesn't use that as mindfulness practice until we have learned to sleep mindfully. First, let's live mindfully, never mind sleeping mindfully. <laughs> so, we have so many experiences constantly, without checking them out. We have no, and then, we get restless because we'd like something more exciting, more interesting. What could be more interesting than finding out about oneself? I can't imagine that there should be anything more interesting. Everybody's always interested in meeting other people and having nice conversations and getting to know what they're thinking about, or for heaven's sake, let's find out what we're thinking about. And then we do. There's no secret anymore. He just said, the whole of the universe, all of lies in this mind and body. But we're thinking of this thing. And that's why we're having a war. It's very simple to hold them. Except that we don't pay enough attention. And that's what mindfulness is. Paying attention to ourselves. Now obviously in daily life there are many things happening which take our attention away from that. Because we have to, we are forced to pay attention to what's outside. Driving a car, going across a busy street, uh, writing a letter, answering the telephone, all these things take one outside of oneself, one has to pay attention. Quite so. Doesn't go on all day either. But here, all we have to do is pay attention. Pay attention in the minutest detail. That's what mindfulness is. One point to what's actually going on. Now we've talked about mindfulness of the body, one-pointedness directed towards the movement, towards the path of the body, all these things mindfulness. But now, mindfulness of mind. How are we ever going to find out who we are if we don't inquire into that aspect of ourselves? Now maybe you have already taken yourself apart into all those different pieces and have come to the conclusion well, that can't be me. This isn't nice enough. Or, well, there are too many bits. I don't know which one I am, so let's forget the body. That's not me. Okay, so now you're the mind of me. So let's take that one apart. And see what happens there. Even if we understand it intellectually, and that is the first step, there is no substitute for that. 
it still is important to bring liberation and freedom. But it's going to put one on the path. There has to be something that's going to put one on the path. And that is it if one understands that there is something entirely different from the way we use the Mindfulness is the mental state that makes that possible. Without it, there's no possibility at all, no, no opening at all. Mindfulness, this clear-cut, unembellished, total awareness of what's actually happening, without thinking what it could be. I was constantly thinking what it could be. But not like that. Just knowing. Knowing only. Now, in order to do that, one has to slow down, and I've already suggested to you, and I will suggest again because it's important enough to say it at least five times, I've only said it once so far. When you look at something, when you hear something, stay with the looking, stay with the hearing, make it slow, and then only watch what comes after. Because that what comes after has already arisen, it's so quick that it has already arisen, but if you stick to the hearing or seeing, you are redirecting your attention to the sense contact, so you are making the next step arise over and over again if you're redirecting. And that way it may become quite obvious what happens. The uh, um, sequence is so quick that it always escapes us because we've never been told to pay attention. If we had been told to pay attention, we would have noticed it long ago. It's not difficult. But we've never been told to do that. And whoever thinks of that has to do it. And then, if you read the books, it still doesn't mean anything. If you read the Satipatthana Sutta, the Conditions of Mindfulness Discourse, you will read all that in it. And it still doesn't mean anything. It says, know your mental, it doesn't mean say no. It just says, mindfulness on mental state, and then it gives a whole list of methods. But doing, the whole secret lies in doing, in actualizing, manifesting, making it come true. We don't have to look for protection, we don't have to blame ourselves if we're not, but the effort, is possible. And that brings satisfaction. Just having made the effort. Now these mental states, third foundation of mindfulness, should never be confused with something that's also sometimes or often taught, thinking. Thinking, thinking. That's not it at all. Mental states are not thinking, thinking, thinking. Mental states are those that I've already mentioned that have something within them. There are, there's a certain weightiness in them. Sometimes they're foggy, and if we know they're foggy, the fog is there. Our objectivity towards the mental state very often is sufficient to make it dissolve. Just as you may have noticed in the meditation that 
then naming of uh, discursive thought, the objective observance of it makes it result. So the one who is the observer is no longer the thinker, the one who is the observer is no longer the anxious one, the irritated one, the upset one, but he has become an observer. Great benefit, right then and there, in half a second, or less, if one pays attention to oneself. It's not difficult. Anybody can do it. The Buddha taught people like ourselves, deluded, ordinary, everyday people. And if he had thought that they couldn't do it, he would have been wasting his time. He thought everybody could do it. All they had to have is some understanding of the fact that happiness was actually a meaning. That's all. First step on this transcendental pain arising is that we know that it's possible. If we don't know that, of course, why be here? The admittance of that to oneself is a sign of intelligence. The non-admittance of it, everybody's got to but the non-admittance of it is an escape route. And of course, escape routes don't not work forever. They have only a certain viability and they can't just keep going. Now, with our ability in meditation to see that we have a discourse of thought and to observe it, give it a and go back to the breath, the more we develop that, the easier it is to do the same in daily living, to become aware of the negative mental state, to observe it, and to substitute. As far as our emotions are concerned, and I think I'll talk about them tomorrow, the Buddha said there are only four kinds of emotions which are worth having. All the others should be discarded. And the mental states, which I have already mentioned to many of, you could call emotional states. But since in the Buddha's teaching, emotion is part of mind, which it is, it's called mental. And therefore, the only emotions which are worth having are four, called divine abiding, Prakmaviharas, and I'll talk about them tomorrow so that we can see how we can substitute the one for the other. It's um, a topic which needs to be readdressed over and over again. Those of you who have been in courses with me have heard it before, but that doesn't matter. Because it's something we need to be reminded of. It is exactly that which I mentioned earlier, that we find it quite easy to dislike. In fact, we have a capacity for finding faults. Hence, our capacity for loving is strictly unenerged. So we need to address that and I'll look at that tomorrow 
because it concerns mental emotional state. Maybe I should say and call the third foundation of mindfulness mental emotional state, which makes it a little clearer what we are on about. Because some of the states, of course, we wouldn't even call an emotion. Because when we realize, for instance, through meditative state, that our mind was malleable, expansive, um, clear, we wouldn't call that an emotion. So these are mental states. But if we say mental emotional states, maybe we have a better handle, a better grip on the whole matter. This is a practice for everyday life and needs to be addressed right here in this quiet, controlled surrounding. Outside meditation. But, very useful also to address it in meditation. Because if the mind has not become totally concentrated, there are mental emotional states arising. Look at them. Name them. The more we become aware in meditation, the easier it is to become aware outside of meditation, the easier it is to finally get this habit. Now, without having practiced this, we have the habit of believing those things. We don't recognize the fact that there are strictly moves which arise in sleep. We believe that that's really so. And we live accordingly. We live according to those mental emotions. And we try to get away from what we believe are the triggers for the negative state and draw near to that which we believe are the triggers for our positive state. All in vain. We never make it. Impossible to get away from all the negative triggers or all the triggers which go for the negative. Impossible to keep the trigger which always goes for the point. There's no way we can do it. So we might as well come to the conclusion that we are those and that it's up to us to change And that way, we will be practicing a spiritual path. Because just sitting on a pillow with cross legs is not a spiritual path. That's trying to meditate and using some method. That's all. A spiritual part is even much further and has to be included inclusive from waking people to sleep. As I said, until we begin to sleep mindfully, which is the a result of being extremely mindful in waking up. But let's do first things first. Now the body we have sufficiently discussed and the feeling pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, we have sufficiently discussed to make it quite clear when it arises. Everybody knows what it feels like, there's no problem at all. You even know what a pleasant and unpleasant feeling is. Neutral feelings may be not so clear, but not so important, because we don't react so immediately. And now, mental states, mental emotional states, which are the, our inner inner being is made up of those mental emotions. That's what we feel like. And if we're restless, we're restless. And if we're anxious, we're anxious. And if we're fearful, we're fearful. And if we're nothing, we're nothing. And if we have a happy mental emotional state, we're happy. 
And if it's protein neutral, we know that too. That needs to be now the next step in our practice. All the things which the Buddha taught, every one of them, is practical. He taught Pariyati Patipati. Pariyati means study and Patipati is practice. So study means knowing about it. We would never get this idea ourselves. We have to know about it. And then practice. One alone is not enough. And we've seen that over and over again. Wherever there has been strong overbalance on one side, it's not We have to know enough to know what to practice. So this is a very important aspect of the practice, and I'd like you to um, remember that in the daytime and outside of that yet. But a mental state is also a thinking mind. A thinking mind is also a mental state. But the next one, the fourth one, is the content of the thought. So that's our, our story line. That's the content. But thinking is also a thinking mind. So if you're sitting there meditating, instead of being concentrated, the mind is thinking, we've got thinking mind. But it would be more useful to have a clearer perception of the kind of thinking that's going on. So you would be more um, useful to say distracted mind. But then emotion and souls have to I guess why I'm saying mental emotional state. Yes, two different things. There are many emotions and many other ways of using the mind. But all of it is mind. That's why I said I won't call it just mental state, I will call it mental emotional state. Anything can be in there. Would I just call it mental state? So, look at this. You'll find out in one minute flat, what it's all about. All you have to do is look at it. And the minute you've done that, you know. That's the way it is. All you have to do is go through the four aspects of the mind, and you will know the reaction. Without even having that long storyline, we can just have any kind of mental state as a reaction. Mental emotional state. Sometimes the reaction is thinking and sometimes the emotion. Yes, the mental state can be not just thinking. The mental we haven't got to that thinking part. You're thinking again of having a whole story again. No, that's not. This is a mental emotional state. So the mental emotional state can be angry, worried, fearful, anxious. Is a projecting, resisting, happy, loving, compassionate, um, joyful, equanimous. It can be um, um, foggy, non-understanding. It can be expansive, malleable, uh, inclusive, um, contracted. There are at least another hundred words I can use. 
All those things is a mental emotional state. You don't have to tell a story yet. The first reaction comes in the mental emotional state. But sometimes after a story, uh, emotion the story is again a sense contact and the sense contact again creates a feeling I said that you go round and round in the mulberry bush the, the story creates a, a feeling the feeling creates perception the perception creates a mental state the mental state creates a storyline the storyline creates a feeling the feeling creates a perception the perception creates a uh, uh, mental state, the mental state creates goes round and round and round and round, over and over and over. So it is the mental state that creates the thinking. Not necessarily. You may stop. Can be done away. You may not even create a story. You may stay with your mental state. You may be so irritated that you just irritate. You fuming for this irritation. You may not be able to think clearly to say even anything. You may just be irritated. You may have no story at all. Later, when you got rid of the invitation, then you'll have a story. He or she did it to me. But I think you're going to have to do it. If you don't do it, you won't, you won't know it. And you won't remember it. You can't remember it unless you've done it. I mean, you can write it down, but you can't run around with a notebook in your hand and try to, to read it again. You've got to do it. And then you remember it without any difficulty. Because it happens over and over and over. It seems that it's not always the same. Sometimes you are just a thinking that creates an emotion. Thinking is also a sense contact. It's a sixth sense contact. Thinking is a sense contact. And every sense contact creates feeling. And every feeling is followed by perception. And perception is followed by either mental state or mental formation by the reaction. And then you think again and then you get another feeling and then you get another perception and another mental state and it goes around and around and around. You don't have to see and hear and taste, touch and smell. You can also think and get the same result, exactly the same result. That's why I keep saying that if you can't feel any loving kindness, think it. Eventually, you feel it. It may take time. Because thinking creates feeling. So as you think it, there may be a pleasant feeling. The pleasant feeling may create the perception that's love. That, that perception of love may create a loving mental state, which is an emotion. I can't make it any clearer. That's about as clear as it possibly could ever get. And I think the only way you're ever going to get it clear is by watching. Watching your own thinking and see what happens. See what happens after you've been thinking. And especially in the meditation. When you're sitting thinking in meditation, watch. There's no other way to really find it except to see it in oneself. There's no other way of explaining it. None. It always follows exactly the same pattern. Have you figured out why you don't like that pattern? Of course you don't. Try to figure out why. 
So find out why you don't like the That's a very important insight. To find out why this particular pattern, which is repetitive, please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Look inside of yourself and find the capacity to love, to love. Find it in your heart, in your emotions. Look at it as if it were a beautiful flower that you allow to grow. Make this beautiful flower grow and expand so that you totally fill with the beautiful aroma of love and nothing else at any moment. As large as yourself, with a beautiful arm, give it as a gift.
And now hanging in this beautiful flower, containing love. Devotees will be able to take this to one piece, large enough to fill that person from head to toe. Beautiful enough. And now hang on to your friend. Now hailing a beautiful flower to all the people that come into your life. Those you've met, just greeting those who keep coming. Let them all have the gift of love from you. Give them the most beautiful flower. And now hang the beautiful flower of love from your heart to a person whom you don't like.
and now it is many plants of love growing in the heart is possible. Him and found audio on containing the earth, on having a beautiful room, and hanging along to the living people as you can see. Planting people's hearts so that they can grow their Now come back to your own heart and observe the beautiful flower of love growing. Cherish it and cultivate it. And the beautiful aroma around you and fill you and fill you. Having that beauty with him, he has been pushed May all beings have love now. 